Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 219. This week I'm joined by Mike Pekovich and Anissa Capsalis. We talk about a whole bunch of woodworking stuff. But first, I want to let you know that coming up July 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern, Mike Corsack is going to be doing our next webinar titled Building Stronger Furniture. Mike has an incredible design background coupled with a timber framing background. And this webinar is going to be about designing from the get-go in a way where you're thinking about structure and making strong furniture that looks good as well. So uh, check that out. Head on over to findwoodworking.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. I haven't said it in a while, but I need to say it right now. Thank you to all of the listeners out there who subscribe to the magazine or have an unlimited membership. It's because of you, the subscribers and the members, that we're able to do this podcast, that we're able to laugh and talk about woodworking and come into your homes and in your cars and in your shops and share our love of woodworking with you, our listeners. I just, I realize that we haven't said thank you in a while. Thank you for making this happen, for making this go. One other thing that makes it go is advertisements. And here is a quick one from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get started with the show. Did you know that Lee Valley has free shipping on orders of $30 or more right now? They've been doing it almost the entire lockdown period, and I think it's incredible service that they've been giving to the community. To help you get to that $30 mark, I'm going to make your life really, really simple. You can order anything and add to that for $27.50, Lee Valley's 50-piece magnet sampler. This is a fantastic collection of magnets. So 50 magnets, 50, 50 magnets. These are all great sizes you're going to need. You know you need a drawer filled with magnets in your life. Everybody needs a drawer filled with magnets. Get a 50-piece magnet sampler and pretty much anything else, and you're going to get free shipping from Lee Valley right now on any order of $30 or more. LeeValley.com. Hold on just a sec. I'm on the podcast. Anissa, Jeff. Hello. <laughs> Howdy. How's everyone doing? We're on the podcast. <laughs> Mike, what have you been building? What's that? You've been building. You've been building something that it might be the first piece that we have like no lunchtime conversations around at all. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're doing this on the sly to me. <laughs> like I have no, no insider information and it's, it's, it's disconcerting. Um, in terms of the furniture piece of furniture I'm working on. Yeah. It's, it's basically a version of the arched entry table that ran in the magazine a little while back. And it's for a client who um, liked it obviously, but um, I I like working with clients because when you're working with someone, um, 
even if they want like a piece that you've already made or they want you to design a piece, it's just that that interaction kind of pulls me out of like the peer mic aesthetic. And uh, the house that this table is going in um, had these insanely beautiful curly redwood like um, wainscoting on the walls. I mean, like this really like curly redwood. What It's like super nicely figured wood. So um, I didn't want to match that, but I wanted to get some wood with some figure to at least tie in with that. So instead of going with the white oak, which I normally make the table out of, I went with Shedua, which is basically someone who described it as a cross between teak and walnut. And it just can have this incredibly amazing figure to it. And it's one of those things where I knew going in, it's like I, I automatically thought of that wood. And when I thought of that wood, I was also thinking in terms of how using that wood is actually going to kind of change the design as well. Um, so instead of really kind of square edge work, like the tabletop has like a curved under bevel to it. Um, I went with ebony drawbore pins instead of, you know, pins of the same wood. So just, um, you know, just by changing the wood, I think it kind of changed the nature of the piece a little bit and it looks super fancy too. It's interesting to see because very, very rarely do I see a polished finish on your pieces and like there's, it's, it's highly reflective. It's, it's a, you know, it changes everything about the way that that design looks. Yeah. Yeah. That was scary because it's like, where is this taking this? Like, this is like, it's almost a different aesthetic. Like, it's almost like, I don't want to, I'm not, making comparisons here, but it's almost like more of a Tim Coleman aesthetic or a Hank Gilpin mm-hmm. where, you know, really nice design, still joinery heavy, but the figured wood they use, they just usually have like a, a higher sheen to their finishes and that depth and the luster of the woods. It just, you know, all of a sudden you look at every surface. Does it have a nice curve to it? Is it really refined? And so I'm kind of going for more, kind of elemental arts and crafts feel to something that is a little bit more uh, refined, I guess. So I think I found a a happy medium with this piece, either that or I'm stuck between two aesthetics and I don't know. Is, is Shedua closed poured? No, it's kind of like Walnut where it has like the pores themselves are pretty open. Like you look at it, there isn't like a really strong grain pattern, but it does have kind of open pores. So I'd say like a walnut or a mahogany. Hmm. Did you do any pore filling or anything? No, I didn't. That's all. And it's not actually, I mean, there's just an amazing luster to it. It's not like I'm finishing it to a higher sheen. It's still my basic finish, but it's just this finish on a highly figured wood just looks wow. different than the same finish on white oak, which is that's incredible. Does just doesn't have that luster, yeah. Huh? Yeah, I almost thought like, wow, Mike, Mike, you know, French polished it or something. No. It, 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 yeah. No. Interesting. Yeah. What about you, Anissa? Have you been working on anything? Nope. Sanity. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't even I haven't even moved on the on the uh, on the treehouse. I'm just trying to get through every single day. Now the school's yeah. over. Finally, today's the last day. Wow! I don't have Today? the pressure of making my cake. Yeah, we we go oh, late. Wow. 
Yeah, okay. you, you've been finished for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I think two and a half, maybe two and a half or three. Yeah. No, we've been. Today's the last day, so now that I don't have to have the pressure of making sure my kids are doing their work, maybe I can actually just send them loose out into the neighborhood and do what I want. Cool. Yeah. In the shop. But good luck. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's answer some uh, some questions. The questions this round have some great salutations. So I'm going to read them. I noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) One of them didn't, but all right. Let's see. This one is from Joe. Dear Ben. I think you made them up. No, I didn't. I swear to God. So like this one, I should have sent this to Liz to analyze because I'm not very good with commas as we know, but dear Ben, comma, fine woodworking brain trust is he calling me the fine woodworking brain trust or is he excluding me from the fine woodworking brain I don't trust? Know. I don't know. If that's how you'd like I to read it, Ben, I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the past four years, I have been doing hand to only woodworking and I don't own any machine tools. It really floats my boat, but thicknessing boards from say three quarters of an inch to, th- to three eighths of an inch isn't my idea of a fun Sunday. Lately, I've been just working with a local company and buying pre-milled stock S4S at the desired thicknesses. I've been thinking about getting a bandsaw for resawing purposes. I worry about dust and my lungs. What sort of specs should I look for in a dust collector if it is only going to be used for a bandsaw? Uh, I mean, the sawdust from a bandsaw, the, the little particles, they're actually pretty big. So you're not getting like the super fine dust that you're getting, even just like with sanding with 220 grit sandpaper. Um, So, I mean, there's a health issue. Basically, if you're worried about dust and you have a bandsaw and you use it once every couple of weeks, get a good dust mask. I mean, that's how you keep your lungs nice and clear. Um, I think you do want to try to pick up the dust from the bandsaw. Um, I used to not do anything for years, but... um, now I have a little bit bigger bandsaw. I use it more often. And if I don't collect the dust for it, like the internal lower cabinet just gets filled up. So you mm-hmm. could use a regular shop vac for that. Um, you don't really have to. I just wouldn't, if you if the bandsaw is the only power tool you have, I don't, wouldn't want to jump into getting a full-on cyclone ducted dust collector or even, even just like the bag thing. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Say if you have a shop vac, hook it up. If you don't now, go buy you, a cheap shop you, back. How are you hooking the shop back up to the, to the bandsaw? Just like shove the hose in the little <laughs> thing. <laughs> Wrap it with duct tape. <laughs> uh, like if, if you're, if you're, if you have a shop back with a two inch hose and you have a four inch port on your bandsaw, just get one of those step down adapter. adapter. Yeah. Sure. That's fine. I think that's at least going to get most of it. Um, Step-down adapters are, I, I go to the woodworking supply and I buy a step-down adapter and I come home and it's never the right adapter. Do you ever get the one where the adapter is the exact diameter of the hose and it goes why like, did, bonk, why, bonk, did, like, why do they make that? I don't know. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I have one around here. Um, I, that was, that was a little bit overkill of a reaction. I apologize people. Um, so I do the thing where 
Tom gave me like this little dust collector a couple of years ago and it's tiny. And I declared, all right, this isn't going to be able to handle everything in my shop. It's not going to be able to handle. So I have a dust collector. I dedicated to my bandsaw. It is the bandsaw is by far the most used machine in my shop. And, um, I, before I had any dust collection on it at all, I always thought, Oh, you know, you're not cutting that much of a curve. You're not, you know, it's, it's not a table saw. It's not really throwing wood. And I noticed just, I go two or three weeks with only using my bandsaw and my shop was just covered in sawdust because it was, it really does throw a lot more dust than I thought it did. So I, I hooked up that, that little dust collector straight to the bandsaw and it was doing a little bit. Um, I found that a shop vac just with a piece of pipe jammed right next to the blade, right under the bearings. Yeah. Collected more dust than a four inch dust collector hooked up to the four inch dust port oh. on my bandsaw. So I would almost argue a shop vac is the, is probably definitely is where I would start because if you get a piece of PVC and find a way of finagling it, so it is right next to the lower bearing guide, it grabs so much of that dust. The old Delta at 191 had a shop vac just, just plumbed right to that bearing, that lower bearing right. section did a great job. So underneath the table. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? That's a good idea. Do you have any dust collection like at all, Anissa? Well, yeah, I, ha- I have a grizzly dust collector. Okay. But bandsaw-wise, I'm going to chuck Barry under the bus again, as always. But Barry broke my bandsaw. <laughs> the only time I have ever had dust collection hooked up to the bandsaw was when Barry came over and he hooked it up to the bandsaw. And within five minutes, my bandsaw was broken. Oh. Uh. Okay. Oh, it was definitely the dust collection that broke right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there was just so much dust packed down from years of not using dust collection that just happened to do that when Barry was there. But I like your idea of even putting a magnet on the PVC underneath. Oh. So you could just like. Yeah. So I, yeah, I had a, a wooden block that the magnet that I took old hard drive magnet from. And whenever disassemble a hard drive, they've got some really powerful magnets in there. And um, do our company laptops have good magnets? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, they're very old. So, (laughs) Um, but uh, I, I screwed that to a block and then screwed a piece of PVC to that. And I was able to get it fairly close. Um, what I recently did though, cause I'm fancy now and have a 3d printer is I went on Thingiverse and somebody had a bandsaw dust collection thing and you print it up and it's, it's got a slot for the blade to go into and you oh. glue magnets to it. And it just goes right up under that gullet, if you will. Wow. And that's what I've been doing now. I have it right now set up. So I have a Y from the four inch port with that little dust collector. I have a Y to a two and a half that goes to that, to that area, right, right next to the, the bearings under the table. 
but I swear it's still not collecting as good as when I just had a shop vac. I don't know if it's the velocity of a shop vac um, or what. So I, I need to experiment mm. with that. Can I just back this whole thing up? He, he wants the bandsaw and dust collection just so he can thickness boards and he doesn't have to do it by hand, right? Yeah. So why doesn't he just get a benchtop planer? Well, because then you're that blows its own chips. He could put it away every two weeks, pull it out, and he can thickness to exactly what he wants. He doesn't have to buy a dust collector if he gets one that's blowing its own chips. What do you think of that? That's that's an answer. That's an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's I think he's eyeing eyeing down that slippery slope of oh well I yeah. have a bandsaw now I might as well stop yeah. cutting this with my panel saw. I agree. Or, this is a symbolic buy. Yeah, just a yeah. bandsaw. That's all I'm going to get. That's all. I just want a thickness board, man. Yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, planer planers coming soon after. <laughs> You better get a dust collector that handles your planer too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's yes. Writing is on the wall, yeah. Joe. Uh, all right. Question number two is from Scott. In episode twenty, in episode two fourteen point five, the importance of taking notes during a build was touched upon several times. What method do you use for keeping records on each project? Thanks for many enjoyable hours of info, insights, and humor on your podcasts. Um, so I had to look up what 214.5 was, and that was the one where it was just, it was just Barry and Issa and I just like, well, I think you should. I, we didn't answer any questions. And I have a hard time believing one of us said that we actually do keep notes. <laughs> I, I almost went back and listened to it, but I don't remember I'm talking about that. I remember, I remember lamenting that I don't keep notes <laughs> and I do now. You do. I do. I do for, but like my, I, you know, my woodworking is very specific these days and um, okay. First off recommendation buy a ream of cardstock, <clears throat> heavy paper okay. and use that for it. You know, it's, when the, when the black wing pencil starts doing it for you and you're going, you know what? Yeah. A good pencil is just better. It's worth its, its added cost. I use what? 10 pieces of paper a year in my shop. I can buy the good stuff and it just, it holds up. It's, it's, it's not flopping around. It, it, it's just nicer all around for some, my wife bought this for tags for fabric tags that she prints uh for her fabric um but oh i i just grabbed a stack of 20 and it's made all the difference in the world so that's what i use for notes do you ever find yourself when you had like the really good paper if like you ask yourself of what you're going to write down is it worthy of a piece of cardstock yeah, yeah yeah or will you just pick up a scrap of wood if you just need to make a quick addition you know thing so there is there is a hierarchy, right? Okay. I have cardstock for certain things. I have the Veritas uh, grid pad for certain things, okay. and then the day to day notes are either done on the little pad that stays in the pocket, 
or the CT Valley pad. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's not a push stick in my shop that doesn't have something <laughs> right. scribbled on it, dimensions scribbled on it. That's awesome. I I've got a lot of push sticks too. Yeah. yeah, I've never thought about writing on push sticks. Yeah. Um, okay. So notes though, Mike, do you keep notes? Um, I, for a long time, I didn't, I mean, part of that kind of that, you know, problem solving aspect of woodworking. I really like that. And it's, I mean, in all the solutions, they tend to get assigned to short term memory. It's not an age thing. It's just has always been that way, um, to where, I can make a piece, have some like really what I would think is like really cool solutions like, oh, wow, let me do it that way. Hey, that worked. And then I can look at the piece two months later and I would have no idea how we went about doing that. Um, And then I found out like if I'm making it again, it's like, I don't know what I did. I'm just going to figure it out again. And by the time I do it, I realize, oh, yeah, that's how I did it last time, too. So I didn't bother taking notes. But when I started teaching um, and actually in writing articles and stuff. Yeah, it was kind of important to start to record things. So I would um, have my sketchbook out and I would like draw these little ink drawings and the little detail drawings with arrows and little art type and all this stuff. And then I realized that just your cell phone is fine to snap a picture. Um, If anything, it's a lot faster and I take a lot more photos. Um, So I try to, at the very least, I'll pull my phone out and be popping pictures. But then, you know, that, that sort of, you know, with Instagram, you know, then that's, you know, it, it means I've got a camera set up in my shop. It means that I've got my tripod out if I need it. It means that I'm in the habit and in the rhythm of taking pictures and not having that really affect the flow of what I'm doing. So I would probably say, yeah, it's probably more photographic now. But, you know, if I have special jigs or setups or I have a really funky jig that I won't know what I did with it later, I'll do little drawings for that kind of stuff as well. Mm. I think you, don't, you don't keep the jig? Or you, you do um, I jig do, or you but I'll have this jig and it's super smart. And then I'll look at it six months later. It's like, what is this? What? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the conversation that we had, Ben, that he might be talking about. I about how even when we're on shoots, people are figuring out what they did yeah. all over again mm-hmm. and how it's just, it goes, even if they prep the stuff a few weeks or a month before, when it comes time to do it on the shoot, they're, they're having to, they're having that moment. They're like, what did I, what did I do? And then they have to figure it out again. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's kind of what we talked about. Yeah, there but. is a, a, a stick on my side feed table of my table saw, a piece of cherry, and written on it, it says bandsaw tenon spacer. Like, that's it. I don't know what that <laughs> came from, but I cannot throw that away. <laughs> because one day I'm going to pull out something and look and say, that's what that was for. So, yeah. 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 There's just, uh, I've, I've been helping my brother, uh, side his house and I wound up with, you know, just these new England houses, just roof off of a roof with this angle, that angle. And, and I, I wound up with, um, I had a little piece of plywood that I was using as like a track saw table. And I wound up with like 12 different bevel gauges, tra- angles transferred to the edge of that table. And at the end of the last day, 
my brother goes, Oh, we, we need this piece. And I was like, okay, that's front roof back. And I couldn't remember what any of those angles were, even with my notes. It was just, and then there was a piece of wood we found that just said, keep. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't say why it just said keep. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two weeks ago. That made sense, but I don't know what that's meant for now. Um, I've been keeping like really, really elaborate notes that are probably overkill. But um, part of what I'm doing is like when you build an instrument, so much of what you do gets covered up. All right. And so I've been trying to keep tabs of the thickness of the linings that I did and what the wood was made out of. And because I don't know what matters yet. I don't know what is going to all of a sudden say, oh, this is starting to make a difference. So I've been keeping tabs of everything. And the other problem is that quarter sawn softwood looks like quarter sawn softwood to me. It's Engelman spruce or Adirondack spruce or yellow. I, I, it's all looks the same to me at this point. So all of a sudden I go back and look at my order forms from these lumber suppliers and go, Oh, that was Adirondack spruce. That wasn't Engelman spruce. And is that going to make a difference? I don't know. So I've been keeping really, really elaborate notes. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, like I was milling up lining material and, you know, you're getting the information from multiple different sources. I go back through the books and go, wait, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And then, and I was, how thick do I mail this to? And thank God I opened up my steam box one day and there was still a piece of unbent lining <laughs> left in there. Cause I, I steamed up an extra and it was like, pull it out, measure. Okay. It was 60,000. That's what I'm going with now, you know? So cool. Anissa, are you a note taker? I know Krenov students all have a stack of notes from, from the school. I have a stack of notes from them. <laughs> also, uh, it's hard. You have to be disciplined to stop yourself in your shop outside of that school environment and, and start taking notes. Um, I keep little scraps in from each project. If I want to, like I'll deliberately keep them or a story stick, something like that. Um, I don't take a lot of notes. I scribble things down to remember them two or three minutes later, like a measurement that I need. And I'll just write that anywhere. I think it would be a good idea to have like a, a shop binder where I get into the habit of writing down just even if it's a bullet point list of my, my operations. I kind of like that idea. I might do mm. it. And so it was cardstock. Yeah. Cardstock. Like it just holds card. up. Yeah. Yeah. But I like the idea of having a binder now. Yep. Cause like right now I have just random pieces of paper and they just, they go in a drawer or they're with whatever uke I'm working on. But I like that idea of a binder. See, I don't like binders mm-hmm. because they're triangular and they Mike, don't. We just came flat. up with a system. We, Wait, we just you don't like binders? No, because like it's a triangle, so it's the top is at an angle, and you still try to stack stuff on it, and things eventually slide over. That's a you problem, man. That's why I like the yeah. it's the <laughs> the spiral bound sketch pads, and you can get those with like super heavy stock, like basically bordering on card stock there. But the flexibility that you get from a binder, you could take them yeah. out, put them back in, change the order. You can't do that with a spiral maker. 
Yeah, that's really smart. <laughs> then, then, yeah, then you just stack them vertically like books, right? right. So then you're okay. Okay. It doesn't have to be the big, yeah. massive three-wing. It can be like the tiny three-wing binder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One-inch yeah. binder. Yeah. And you can yeah. write a little sticker on the spine. You can see this yeah. is the... All right. I like yeah. this. Okay. This is the new hey. fine woodworking method. Yeah. He didn't just say, that's an idea. Uh, like, this is a first. I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is cool. This is really cool. Because actually, Bob Van Dyke, when he teaches a class, he'll he'll pull out a binder, like you said, and it'll list... You know, it'll have the cut list in it. It'll have photos of all the machine setups and, you know, so, oh, never mind. I'm going binder. That's really good. Another thing that I like about the, the binder mentality is I try and do things on the computer or on the iPad so I can easily change them. Because if it's in a pad, like a, like a, a, a you know, a fancy sketch pad or something like that, I feel like it's permanent and I don't want to do it until it's done. Um, with a binder, if I need to, like, I have a thing of order of operations for building something. If I need to redo that, I can just redo it and then stick that in the binder. Mm-hmm. Binders are where it's at. I like that. Jeff, what, 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 what did you, uh, you had about, what, what about, uh, Chris Bexford's card catalog? Well, that's filled with screws, isn't it? Does he have? Yeah, oh, no, he's got no, every no, project no. he's ever done. Yes, yes, with a little note card. Yeah. Hmm. I would drop that and all the cards would fall out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. See, when, when you've done 812 tables, then a card catalog makes sense. I've done two. <laughs> Yeah, no, we have that in a video. Is that at the end of his shop tour? Yeah. Okay. And Anissa, Chris keeps all of his little templates and all that kind of stuff. Are those like in, yeah. in yeah. just like big manila folders or something like that? Or? They're hanging on the wall with string tied around them. Oh, okay. And he comes <laughs> and he unties all the little knots and then he, yeah. Both, both. He's, he's very meticulous about everything. Um, but he does have all the patterns in manila folders and they're labeled. And then he has his card catalog and then he has all the jigs and, and stuff like that hanging on the wall. It's all labeled, cool. which is smart and efficient because then you know exactly what it's for. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> all right. I'm Binders and card stock. Yeah. I'm super excited. The next class I teach, don't tell anybody because I'm not sure it's actually going to happen. But I like the idea of like giving every student their little binder for the class. And it has like the plans in it, blank paper for notes and a cut list if they want to make it. I like this. This is great. And like I'll put like a little like a little cover on it that shows a piece of furniture. Uh, so Jeff Lefkowitz, when you take a box chair class, yeah. uh, Jeff Lefkowitz and David Yard, like Jeff has the manual done up and it's like, you know, maybe 50 pages of whatever. And yep, and there's even a little spot for taking notes and yeah. Wow. I'm not gonna do that. That's depressing. I'll post a picture of it. Okay. Pretty awesome. All right. We it's time for our segment. (laughs) And Anisa Anisa came up with her grand idea. (laughs) Shop talk live segment. Pot, uh, potluck. 
<laughs> Potpourri. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this was out of uh, wanting it to be gray or us just being lazy and not wanting to decide and discuss what we were going to do. I'm, so we'll see. I'm, yeah, we can decide afterward, right? Okay. <laughs> was, this, was this a great idea or was this a lazy idea? <laughs> Who wants to go first? I think Anissa should go last because yeah. she wants to do s- smooth move again, probably. No, she has to go oh, first because. Oh, okay. Because it was her idea. I need a little time. Oh. Okay. All right. It is a smooth move. So um, <laughs> I got, um, when fine woodworking, when we were closing down the shop and. I wasn't there when the massive everybody went to clean out the whole shop together. So that sounds like a lot of work. I can't be there that day. No, I was on a shoot. (laughs) I think I'm pretty sure I was on a shoot, but beforehand I remember I went and I packed up all the hand tools, super nice and neat and boxed them up and brought them back to the office. But after that group cleanup, I went down to the shop and the saw stop was gone and everything was almost gone except, you know, a couple like fixtures here and there. And I grabbed, um, I grabbed a big stack of veneers that I found in the dumpster. I jumped in the dumpster and pulled out the veneers, <laughs> but aren't you, the, didn't you almost want to take them? Was it you I or Barry? I remember them. Um, they're really I, uh, there was a lot anyway. of stuff going on there. Um, and I also took an over the fence, um, tenoning jig that was for the saw stop there. And I thought, well, the saw stop's gone. I'm going to grab this. And I have a saw stop with a fence. It should fit on my fence perfectly. And so I brought it home and it didn't fit. It was just a hair different than the fence on my saw stop. And so I was a little annoyed at first and then, I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And I thought, well, what am I, I can just, it was a little bit too tight. So I couldn't get it over the fence. And I thought, well, I could just set up the fence so that it's just taking a skim cut off the inside of one of those of the U. Wait, why are you making that fence, Ben? Face, Ben. (laughs) I think I see what's coming. What's coming. It was a good idea. Go ahead. You you set off your saw stop because there was a screw in there. Oh, no. I checked for that. Okay. All right. All I right. Did. <laughs> so I wanted to just creep up on the – because you don't want any wobble on that, on that fence as you're sliding it back and forth. And so I just set it up just to take a skim off the farther side. I don't, I don't know why I chose that side. Mm. But – it's safe. You're riding against the fence. This thing is totally flat. Just the tiny. And I had the blade up raised only like a little bit to test it out. And I took that first cut with the, with the blade just a little bit up and it worked totally safe. And I raised the blade all the way up just to, so that it wouldn't cut into the top of the U and I made the cut. No problem. It just wasn't enough so i still couldn't fit this this tenoning jig over the fence so what do you do when you want to take a little more off you bump the fence toward the blade and so i just just a hair i just tapped it a tiny bit and i did another pass and it still wouldn't fit and i bumped it a tiny bit more (laughs) 
<laughs> you understand what I was doing, right, Ben? Oh, you're tuning the wrong guitar string. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, I was there for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, I turned off the dust collection. I turned everything off. I took my ear protection off so I could think about what is going on here. This would be so loose by now. I was bumping the fence in the wrong direction. <laughs> and just sawing air. Yes. <laughs> and it took me 20 minutes of sawing air to figure out that I was bumping the fence in the wrong direction. And that thing fits perfectly now. <laughs> yeah that's what uh i've 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 sat there and like tweaked an eq on a track for for days or for for for, for 10 minutes i thought oh, a little bit more a little bit more and look up so you wrong track it was you know it's, it's, or you're tuning a guitar string and all of a sudden you're tuning to it come on why is this not you know, bang and you break the guitar string so mike knows yes and like when, <laughs> when you're doing the eq changes i bet you could hear the difference right? oh yeah absolutely yes oh everybody in the room's like no i don't like it as much and all of a sudden you realize hey, <laughs> we weren't doing anything guys uh, what do you got ben so I, I decided to go with a tool bomb because I've had a tool bomb sitting and waiting and nobody ever wants to do tool bomb. And I'm sorry, I'm going to offend an entire continent because it seems like Europeans <laughs> love their folding rulers, but what, well, come on, what a useless tool a folding ruler is. It's got one good if you're a chair maker and you need to measure inside dimensions or whatever all the time, I have two Lufkin folding rulers around and they're wonderful tools, but I never use them. And anytime I see somebody pull out a folding ruler, it's like, Oh, you just like unfolding it. It is nice to unfold them and fold them. They're, they're, they're fun. Yeah. yeah there's satisfaction in it. I don't have that much time. <sighs> Do either of you use a folding ruler? No, I have. And they're silly, aren't they? I have maybe a couple. Yeah. And yeah, you think, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. I don't use them. They, yeah. I Like, I get it, but no. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, the first time someone who, like, you know, grew up using a folding rule tried a tape measure, they threw away their folding rule. Yes. I, Except progress in some areas. Like, I, I prefer to whatever. I'm a old school folding. Come on. No. Yeah. I'm with you. Man, hate mail is coming. You think so? Dave, I'm pretty sure David Welter uses a folding ruler. Don't don't some of them have that little tip that little, comes out the end? Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly like you you have to have that in order for it to be useful. I, I guess I have that. I I don't know. I used it when I made that box chair in that class, and it was really cool. And I was like, oh, okay. And then so I still have one. It's sitting there next to my other 28 tape measures, but. Seems like a lot of people use them for inside, you know, for squaring up a case. Okay. 
I'm going to go through my outs and see what he used it for. I remember thinking, oh, that's a great thing to have. And now I can't remember what it was for, but I'm going to look. And I'll let you know, Ben. I I almost have it now out of spite. <laughs> just just because one day I'll, I'll grab it. I'll be like, oh, okay. That's why I had it. But, yeah. What you got, Mike? Um, technique. So this has to do with that uh, piece of furniture that I was making. Um, so it was kind of tough trying to come up with uh, drawer pulls to kind of fit the style. I had kind of a rough idea of what I wanted in my head, which was different than what I would normally use. So I ended up buying some kind of Tonsu style bale poles from Haida Tool. Um, really great, great place, uh, great place for Japanese chisels and Tonsu hardware and stuff there in San Francisco. And um, they're the kind of handles where they have those kind of the, the long split pins that go through and you're supposed to crimp them over and ham- hammer them into the back of the, Ooh, yeah. the drawer. You know, and this is like, a, again, we're talking, oh, kind of verging on a high style piece of furniture. I ain't banging no crimped little pokey things into the back of the drawer front. So I took a cue from an article, I think, did you work on that, Anissa? Um, the the hardware maker in Fort Bragg. Yeah. What's Bob his name? Sanderson. Bob um, Sanderson. Yeah. He did an awesome article on making your own poles, and he was using just like a regular cotter pin as a post. Right. And rather than keeping them really long, he basically cut them off just a little longer than the thickness of the drawer front. And so you could kind of nice polish and round over the ends. And then he used a wedge, you know, pounded in between the cotter pin, you know, split to kind of wedge it open to create sort of a dovetail um, effect to hold that thing in place. That's cool. Yeah, that's right. I forgot all about that. So that's what I did with these is that, I know traditionally you're not, you know, you leave them long and bend them, but I cut them short and filed them over and got a little wedge and wedged it from the inside. And, and it worked really, really well. Um, plenty strong enough for the drawers. They're definitely a much, much cleaner look. Um, I'm sure you're going to have, if you actually do bend and hammer those in, I think like if you're doing chest handles or something, I think that's going to be stronger, but overall, um, I thought it, I thought it worked out really well. So I pulled out that article, I read it. Then I got super excited about making my own hardware and I had to back up a little bit and just <laughs> sawed everything off. So I was on Facebook marketplace looking for forges. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. yeah. Uh, well, speaking of making your own hardware there, Andrew Hunter had a video on making hinges out of cotter pins where he does the whole oh, bend it okay. around and, and and he's he's a guy who like oh I got to go buy a forge now to make my own hardware because nobody makes this and it's like okay yeah. but uh, yeah so I'll I'll post a link to both those cool that's cool all right that so, was quick. good right as a potluck. that was good yes I like that yeah we'll 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 let the audience decide you okay. know like there's no theme but we all got to say what we wanted to say. That's true. Maybe it's just self-serving. That's a slippery slope, letting the audience decide anything. 
Well, they decide everything eventually. <laughs> if they stop listening and we, we can't make the podcast anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would rather have three different answers that are good answers than three answers to the same thing. And it's only because one, yeah. one really good one because they really wanted to do it. And the other two people just had to think of something. That happens from time to time. Yeah. That's when I pull out like, oh, I like having a random plane blade lying around. Yeah. That could Everyone's be. like, oh, yeah, that's great, Ben. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. All right. Regardless of your skill level in woodworking or home repair, you want a glue that you can trust. Because a glue that doesn't work can ruin any project in a hurry. Fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp times, to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. T-I-T-E-B-O-N-D dot com. All right. Question number three is from Lucas, I believe. Uh, Hello, everyone, especially Ben. I've got this question for the podcast. This this one's kind of been sitting around for a little while uh, because I knew something was coming. I'm designing a wall shelf with horizontals and verticals overlapping on all sides, similar to a shelf I found on Chris Bexford's website. Do you happen to know how he does this joint exactly? I can't make it out from the photo. Obviously, it's some sort of lap joint, but since it's so deep, I think there's need to there's needs for support on the loose sides of the boards so that they don't bow. Is he also running a shallow groove on the how to, to house the loose sides? I have a table saw, no dado blade though, illegal in Europe. Did you and know that? Oh, I did know that. Yeah. I did know that because I, I work at a woodworking magazine. That's our job. <laughs> and a router table plus a planer, drill press, and hand tools. I'm a beginnerish woodworker, but I've done a few projects already, and I think I can pull this off. I think you can too, Lucas. So, how would one find out how that is done? Anissa Capsalis. Well, it just so happens that we shipped an issue to the printer yesterday that has this, uh, that wall shelf that was his inspiration as one of our articles. And Mike took this amazing, ridiculously beautiful photograph of the finished shelf that when I got the PDF, I was just like, whoa, have you seen it, Ben? You must have. I have. Obviously, I didn't go, whoa. Sorry, Mike. Wow. Like, okay. Are those cherry blossoms on top, right? I was afraid that the little blossom, the flowers might have been over the top a little bit. No. So thank you for saying that because I was a little, and plus like it was on my dining room table. And of course I had pants on when I shot it, but <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, under really kind of not ideal circumstances to get a finished shot. So I was kind of glad that at least, you know, lighting wise and, and everything that it turned out. Okay. So thanks. But How it's did a beautiful you do show. that on your dining room table. That's really, 
Um, wow. I set it down and then I just had Bill clone out all the shadows from yeah, actually Bill, sitting on the table. Bill really did so, a number for you. That's yeah, great. After, it's, I have a bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for anyone who doesn't know, tell, tell the audience what, who Bill is. But Bill Godfrey is our photo color Photoshop technician extraordinaire who has like a, you know, a fine art training. He's actually a wonderful painter and he just uses all of his skills along with his Photoshop magic. And this poor guy, cause he works for a lot of all the magazines. So we're actually the best. Sometimes we just ask him to kind of, you know, fix fingernail fungus and that kind of stuff or, or, you know, fix, fix joinery and all that kind of stuff. But you know, for gardening, he's had to add leaves to a bush. For fine home building, he's had to uh, add hard hats or hearing protection to every single person in like a photo of the oh. whole, you know, site crew. Anyway, he's great. So yeah, Bill is is he can take a good photo, and make it look amazing. He can take a really bad photo and make it look great. And so, you know, and I go through. I work with Bill, and I I proof all the photos in an issue before it goes out. And if there's like a photo that's like a little sketchy in terms of color correction, I'll know. I said, Bill, you had to do a lot of work on this. Didn't you? And he would just like, nod. I said, yeah. So, um, it's like, you know, it's already as good as it's going to get. Exactly. So if something isn't perfect, it's because it came a long way to get where it was. And it's, it's the way we can have, you know, a bunch of editors going out, under really stressful and non-ideal, you know, situations and shooting and still having a magazine that looks really good. So, yeah. Um, but Thank actually, you, actually everybody on the staff now, uh, Nisa included are fantastic photographers. So, um, actually, <laughs> what's that? All three of you. Yeah. Yeah. We finally winnowed out all of the little, no, it's not true. <laughs> And he's such a good guy too. Like not, yes. I mean, yeah. So, so did you mention how to make this shelf? Oh, right. No, so, we just keep talking about the photos. <laughs> Sorry. So Sorry, we, Lucas, we're out of time. Yeah. <laughs> so Lucas, um, he, he had, he modified the design and it's really cool what he did. Um, yeah. He, but, he sent us some drawings about how he was going to do it. That, yeah. Yeah. So, but, and he's right. Um, the, the joinery is it's lap joints with a shallow dado. Um, and he does, he does secure those, um, the loose part of the shelf. He, um, on one section of crisp experts, he, he screws in from the back and on the other section he uses, um, he uses the, the hanging joinery to kind of tie everything together a little bit. Um, which is a really cool idea. And so very how would you do that without a dado blade? Cause that's what Chris used. Oh, right. I, I'm blown away. I did not, perhaps I should have already known that dado blades are illegal in Europe. Um, but I didn't, um, you could do it by hand for sure. <laughs> you can just keep bumping the fence over in the right direction. <laughs> until you get. <laughs> 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 until you get to the the desired thickness, I guess. How would you do it without a, a dado blade, Mike? Um, that's a good Powder? question. I mean, I, th- I think the stop slots and for the half lap, I think you can still do that on the table saw with a pair of cuts and then just knock out the waste. 
Um, maybe for that shallow data, if I didn't have a data, I guess, yeah, I mean, a router, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's also something where you could just scribe it, you know, saw it with a handsaw and get out your little router plane and just knock that out pretty quickly. I don't, mm-hmm. I would never do that, but you could do that. One could, no, I, I mean, I, I think that would be, um, if you were at all in, invested in hand tools is definitely, it'd be really fun this is a good joint i think you can handle by hand really well yeah Yeah. Um, i don't know i guess a router super smart so you have like that little t fence where the it captures the router in between like two cross pieces and then you can like Mm -hmm. chuck in your three-quarter bit for the dado then stick in your what five eighth inch bit for the half lap go all the way through probably a, a router you can do it super fast keep everything perfectly aligned um, so you could do with a router, you could do the shallow data, definitely the whole, the whole, the whole width of the shelf. And then you could take a bearing guided pattern bit and clear out the rest guided mm-hmm. off of that, the top of that shallow data. Oh, that's a good idea. So, so do the shallow data. <laughs> go to the drill press or something, hog away most of the material where, where the board needs to pass through for the half lap. Right. And then, then just reference off the top of that data with, uh, with a flush drum bit. Just to get rid of the waste in the middle. Yeah. That's super smart. I like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I've got one of those bridge city kerf makers. Do you know about these? I think it's, so. It's a, it's a little doohickey that, um, you measure basically you, you, with, with a method, you wind up measuring the exact kerf of your table saw blade or whatever blade. And then this, this little block becomes the spacer block for, for a, a stop lock, be it on a, a, a sled or miter saw or miter fence or whatever. And I got it just because I, I saw it and I put it on a Amazon wish list. And then three years later, all of a sudden for Christmas, my parents got it for me. I was like, oh, this is great. And I went in a drawer and I never used it. But it was always like one day I'm going to. And, and I wound up doing some half laps with it. And it is one of those. This is a magical tool that it, it allows you to do perfect half lap bridal joints, whatever, um, easily, easily, easily dialed in. And I do know that there's some YouTube videos, um, three by three custom Tamar. She, she made her own version. Uh, I'll post some, some links in, in the show notes. So if you want to do it with a table saw blade, that would be a good way is with, um, with a kerf maker type block thing. But I think I'd do the router thing or, yeah. Cool. There's a bunch of ways. Yeah. I hate to keep uh, harping on this one thing. <laughs> why are why are data blades illegal in Europe? Because um, from my understanding of it is when things go south, they really go south with a data blade. Huh. That's I, there's. Yeah, there's a lot of EU regulations that s- seem over the top to us, but 
I think I think there's no fixing something that's been damaged by a dado blade hand or something. Hmm. And maybe it's hmm. maybe it's got to do with healthcare and we're going to leave this one alone. Okay. You can edit out. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I just I I think I think it's 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 a it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, I think yeah. I've heard of that. So that when I'm using a dado blade, you know, I think in the back of my mind, well, I better be careful because this could be dangerous. But I've never, it doesn't feel like an overly dangerous thing to be doing. Well, you're you're rarely doing a through cut with a dado right. blade. So that is, I don't want to say there's no kickback you know, possible. I, I do a lot of through cuts. Almost everything I do with the dado blade is a through cut. I think the stop cuts with the dado blade, that's the freaky thing. But like for tenons, you can do tenons with a dado blade. You do rabbits. Um, if, okay. if I am doing dados like across a board, I'll typically have that in a cross cut sled. So I think but, that's. But you're, you're not ripping. Well, like a, with, a rabbit. Yeah, is sort of, or if you're doing a, a panel groove for um, door frames or something like that, and you have a little skinny dado blade. But there's no chance with a panel groove. There's no chance of the of the the cut closing up behind the blade. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the closing up of the cut. It's probably if you're using having the end of a board against a rip fence as you're cutting a dado. Yeah. And if that were to come away from the fence yeah, and flip around, you're right. I mean, I mean, it's bad enough to have your thumb go across a regular table saw blade, but yeah, if that went across a dado blade, like you said, you're removing a lot of stock there. So that could be, there might not be anything left to stick back on. Did you just replace the word flesh with stock? Well, I just, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <he did. laughs> so, yeah that so I don't, I don't know and also i mean i guess theoretically you can get a dado blade the same diameter as a regular 10 inch blade usually you know usually you find them here they're either eight inch or six inch diameter and which means if you put a eight inch diameter dado blade on your saw stop, you can't use the riving knife anymore because that's yeah. set up for a different diameter. Mm -hmm. So that could introduce different safety issues. Cause I know on, on European saws, they all have the riving knives that move up and down with a blade. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They, they seem to deal with it fine, you know, and yeah. maybe that's why, uh, track saws and track guided routers are much more common there than here yeah so. like a cirque saw with a dado blade oh, oh they uh timber framers yeah uh what is it it's shelter shelter institute up in uh yeah. bath yeah. maine yeah which is just a, if anyone's ever up there is it bath or is it woolworth woolrich whatever mm -hmm. um i think it's if, still in bath if anyone's up in that mid-coast maine bath brunswick area you need to stop by shelter institute it's an insane woodworking store, but they also do timber framing classes and all that stuff and follow them on Instagram because they have some crazy tools that would not be allowed in the European union. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, let's go to question number four with the greatest salutation yet. And I am going to read all 
questions with the salutation from now on. Help me, Oben Strano. STL <laughs> is my only help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've peaked. Shop Talk Live listeners, we've peaked. <laughs> Uh, I recently encountered a glue line failure on a desktop. I'm trying to understand the cause and repair the piece. It may be a question that only the R Bru- that o- only the late R Bruce Hoadley could answer. The desktop is 40 by 20 from a single four quarter hard maple board. Desk was completed in 2017. Didn't present the problem until a couple of months ago when a gap as large as 55 thousandths of an inch opened up over 18 inches of the glue line. The glue up went very well at the time. Very well, right? Um, there was a there was plenty of squeeze out top and bottom, and the result was a gap-free and straight top. The ends of the joint are very much intact. No signs of separation. About a year ago, my daughter acquired a gaming laptop, which has been used on the desktop since. It looks like the narrow side has shrunk where the gap is, and the wider side has not. The computer can run very hot, leaving me to wonder if it if that somehow affected the glue. Could I have starved the joint by overclamping? What am I missing? How do I repair this? Should I rip along the glue lines, rejoint and glue, or will I have to do this again in three years? So, what do we think happened? I think it, it the heat was probably the culprit. The heat didn't do anything to the glue necessarily. What the heat did is it just caused that wood in that area to shrink and pull away from each other. And maple, you know, it's like if wood is going to move, it's going to move. You cannot hold that. So I think yeah. it's probably that. Um, yeah, just rip it, re-glue it, and stick the computer on something, a little trivet or something on top of, just to keep the direct heat off of the table. Um, I think you diagnosed your own problem pretty well. I I was wondering if there was like a grain issue there or something, but it looks like, it looks like two, you know, wide boards, like you said, glued up and it's the, rift or quarter sawn area here in this, you know, the, I, when I look at the photos, it's, it's, there's no outrageous grain. There's no. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, if, if the heat were dispersed over the entire tabletop, I think it would just shrink and expand as a whole, but just because you have this area which is centered length to length and also end to end, you know, across the width as well, so that you're heating up just a localized area. So everything there, the wood is just shrinking only right there. And I think that's why you're popping that joint. Um, Maple's tough. And you were using the aluminum bar clamps, which are pretty light duty. You had five clamps on there, three on the bottom, two on the top, which is pretty good. So, you, know, you don't think he could possibly have over clamped. No, and, and you're right. Not, with definitely those, not over clamped. Yeah. Um, now let's, let's just say it was just, it's, I'm going to say it's that heat, a lot of heat in a really localized area. And you could put the gaming laptop on something or um, throw the gaming laptop away. 
seriously. I was I was listening for Eli to like viscerally re- react in the background. <laughs> there are there are other issues that just throwing the laptop away would solve, not necessarily related to woodworking, but good good luck with that. Um so Anissa, how would you yeah. go about fixing this? I would I would just rip it and reglue it as well. You know, it, it looks, when you see the photos that he sent right after glue up, it looks great. It looks, I agree with Mike. I think it was the heat. Um, it, um, it looks as if it hadn't been glued up and it, there was just an exaggerated, maybe he sprung the joint a little bit. So maybe and there was so already a, a slight spring joint to begin with. So maybe the, and that just got enhanced by the heat from the computer. Yeah. That's a really um, good point. I mean, it just looks as though it's two boards that were put together and they hadn't gotten clamped yet. And you could, it was a little bit, maybe too much of a, a spring joint. Hmm. So, but I would just skim off the, and start skin, cut it again and then just re-glue it. Would, Sorry. would you do that initial cut with uh, like a circular saw on a, guide rail or something would would you be weary of putting this over a table saw given the reaction or the tension that might be built into it no just shove it on the table saw (laughs) well i mean because you're really splitting it down the glue line so you're only taking a 16th of an inch off of each board so that's not enough to release any tensions to get it to warp or anything oh okay yeah i think you're okay okay and then that's going to give you actually just if you just rip down, it's actually going to give you a pretty darn straight glue line. If yeah, table saw blade. You may just glue up from there. I remember one time doing a desk, and the the panel glue or the tabletop glue up didn't go well. And I think at lunch you you were just like just saw it apart and do it again. And I was yeah. like, what? You can just do that? You don't have to live with this mistake. <laughs> just saw it apart and glue it up again. It's like oh. Yeah. All right. There you go. Well. Uh all right. So let's see. We've got a listener comment from Varric. More to life than wood talk. Working my way backwards through the catalog of podcasts, I had to laugh when Ben made a joke about Shop Talk Live being what people were stuck with when Wood Talk announced that they were calling it quits. Uh, and that's exactly how I came to find this podcast. While I was happy when Wood Talk came back from their hiatus, uh, it was the best thing because Shop Talk Live has become my favorite podcast. Suck Yay. on that, Mark. <laughs> 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 the typical mix of Mike, Ben, and Anissa have a great chemistry, and the less frequent hosts are an equal pleasure to listen to along with the many guest woodworkers. My favorite segment is smooth move. Uh, it is my bi-weekly affirmation that I am not the only one making dumb mistakes in my shop. Keep up the good work. Thank you for that, Varric. Uh, I have a recommendation, a random recommendation. Uh, Mario Messina on Instagram. Did you guys know uh, it's Messina designer craftsman? He's a, um, I believe he's an artist in residence at Vermont woodworking school. And he is doing these, he's like taking driftwood and then making sculptural elements around the driftwood 
and then lining them with like a the fancy paper you buy Mike and then making lamps out of them. And they are unbelievably beautiful. Just absolutely insane sculptural lamps that look like moth wings and just organic. And Oh man, it gets me jazzed. Who's who's this again? Mario Messina. Yeah, he's he's an oh. artist in residence at Vermont Woodworking. School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know his stuff. Um, some people in Seattle were doing this, and so you make these wooden frames, and then you get this paper that you put on wet in pieces over it, and then it okay. shrinks tight. That's amazing. Yeah, I saw that. It's just like I want to go there. Yes. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily want to go there. I just want people to go there, and I <laughs> yeah. want to have enough money to just surround myself in it. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Um, yeah. Anissa. Well, I, I'm doing what Mike did. Yeah. There's another guy, Cameron Matthiason. He's, he's lightness five, five, five. He's doing a lot of sculptural lighting, stuff like that with driftwood, um, as well. And with the paper, um, I, it would be interesting to compare, the work that they're, they're doing it's probably it sounds like they're both pretty beautiful. It's, it's, it's like the same vein, but in that two artists, two art, two people speaking the same language, but they're yeah. going in different directions with it. When I look at it, this is incredible as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to recommend is a YouTube channel that my kids turned me on to. It's, um, will appeal to anybody who's into building Mr. Tifu. (laughs) This guy that's just, he's using sticks or just one shovel and he's building these massive structures. He's digging them into the dirt. He's using some wood and sticks and he's making these, these houses. Uh, I think he's in South America, just making like big swimming pools by hand. And he's running down to the the river and filling these giant swimming pools up with buckets, one, one bucket at a time. And um, it's really cool. Mr. Tifu. All right. You'll have to send a link to it. Cause I'm not going to be able to. I will. All right. Yeah. Cool. Mike, anything um, random? Yeah. Uh, upcycled skate art. Um, this guy does super super cool things where he just gets like old skateboards and like presses them together and then makes cool stuff out of this really beautifully laminated work um also reason i mentioned that is he's putting together like a really cool charity raffle where he got two full sets of chisels um uh, two cherries chisels and he's sending those out to different makers i'm actually fortunate enough to be one of them and we're all putting uh, uh, different handles on the chisels and then he's going to raffle off these sets of chisels with a different handle by a different maker on each one that's so, cool yeah wait so you raffle oh. off so like you're gonna get handles from you're, you're gonna get a set of chisels with like six seven different handles by different makers on each chisel that's Take my cool. money yeah so is that-, that is, um, so like it's the, the hashtag is, I think it's chisels for change. Such a good hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> um, really, really good program. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could tell you all the other guys doing cool stuff, but it's everybody doing really, really wild things. Um, so I would, I would definitely check that out. That's awesome. 
doing it. Yeah. Awesome. Jeff, any random recommendations? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, as I get back to the script, that's all for uh, this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkatauntnet.com. If you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. Quick reminder before we totally sign off, head on over to findwoodworking.com and sign up for Mike Corsack's webinar, episode number four of our webinar series. We've been having a lot of fun with them. I think you dig them. I want to say something that might be inappropriate before we get started. Why, 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 why do they make that? <laughs>